welcome to another installment of the Fiber Coven. We are so happy to be here with you and here with each other. I'm Lauren from Valkyrie Fibers. And I'm Emily from Kitty with a Cupcake. Tell us the good news, Emily. There's news. I'm going to Popcon Indie August 25th through 27th in Indianapolis. That's great. Sweet. Let's get into some yarny content. I finished a thing. Well, I finished my Tweety hat. Look at oh, this. Oh, your cute Tweety hat. Yeah, it's a slouchy hat with a folded brim. I'm using the commercial Make It Tweed yarn, which I really like. You hold it double with whatever you like, and it makes things look tweedy. You should do that with a, a, little. a self-striping. Ooh, that's a good idea. Because mm-hmm. the tweed base doesn't hold up good for socks. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if I want tweed socks, though. That's fair. Because, like, well, so there's, like, a BFL tweed base that I use sometimes, not really for self-striping, and the little naps and flex are are a little softer. They're a little more solid in this in a way that I think I would feel it in socks. In your feet. But, like, for, mm-hmm, but for, like, a cute little striped hat, that might be really cute for a hat or headband. Yeah, I don't think I'd want to put this in my shoes necessarily, but that might just be a personal choice. And this is going to be a shop sample for my LYS Knits and Knots, which is fun. Yay. Cute. Yeah. What have you been working on? I worked on my socks in your Steven Mm -hmm. Universe colorway. Look how big it is. (gasps) Steven! Steven! And I am doing my little calf increases for Mm -hmm. a longer sock. Um, I am using just notes that I had in a Ravelry sock to determine where I put those. And it's fine because I've done that like four times. Uh, So, yep, doing the increases and then I will do ribbing and then I will start the next sock and then do my little afterthought heel situation. Nice. If I have enough of the Steven left, I am going to do the heel in the Steven as well. Mm with an afterthought self-striping heel if i don't have enough of the steven then i might do that in the diamonds color fun just for some extra zazz so that's I awesome that. i have worked quite a bit on my mama sweater and it mm-hmm. just looks the same i'm very demoralized hard so here it is it's just the mm-hmm. rose takes so long at this point um Ugh, tell me about it uh so i did move this very recently because I measured mm-hmm. and I had like three inches left to go. Um, mm-hmm. So I, from this marker, I have like three inches from there. So I'm getting close. Mm-hmm. It just feels like I'm not doing anything, which is why I'm mm-hmm. like moving the marker. But you can see how long this is. Yeah, it looks like you have about a foot from the armpit done. Yeah, and I need 13.5 from the armpit. So mm-hmm. thus mm-hmm. this guy. Nice. Uh, so yeah, it's going well. I need to wind some more yarn. Uh, because the current balls I'm working on, I think, will basically just get me to the end of this body. Mm-hmm. And then I ha- I started them at the armpit points. So I have mm-hmm. these two balls that I'm going to start the sleeves from to blend the color pairing that I, because this is a hand dyed yarn and alternating skeins. So I can blend the color pairing of what I was at at the sleeves with the new balls. Mm-hmm. And then those new balls will be for the button band as well there it's there aren't buttons on this but like you know the edging collar button band type piece nice 
So that's how the sweater's going. I'm very determined to finish it. I want it. I want it to be done. I'm really, I think it's good that the Steven, I'm doing the Steven stock with this because I really am like itching to do my epic crystal gems sock arm sweater. So the Steven is kind of like giving me a little bit of that self-striping vanilla action while I'm mm-hmm. slogging away on this guy. Uh, and then I, I mean, I might even have the Steven socks done by the time. I can actually hmm. do the crystal gem sweater. So, yeah. I am kind of dreaming of that. Well, Sachiko B just put out a test call for like a little sleevey sweater. It, it has like basically a collar and sleeves and that's it. And I am dreaming of making that. And I think I want to do it in hand spun that Ooh. I may or may not be getting a custom order for. Oh. <laughs> I'm a naughty girl. You're, you're loving uh weird like sleeveless or sleeved garments lately yeah that's your your whole your whole vibe well i mean i have regular sweaters i just have i have a variety of styles like i have a couple cardigans i like i have a couple regular sweaters i like I, what i need now is different things mm-hmm. in my wardrobe mm-hmm. nice. and yeah i just want to be the weirdo that like 13 year old me wanted to be i love that for you yeah I've been working on stuff. Well, I have my massive blanket. It's just sitting here. It's weird thinking it's like halfway done because we're at the end of June. Oh, yeah. So I've got another couple inches. You know, it proceeds at a regular pace. You can see we had a real cold snap there. We had that was our January where we have like either hail or snow every June. That happened. Um, But we're back into the yellows and oranges. Yeah. Anyway, it's the heirloom temperature blanket, which is mosaic crochet. It's designed by Soraya Hussain, and it's a really accessible pattern. The only hiccup is that the designer is British, so you wanna you'd want to Google the difference between U.S. and British crochet nomenclature. It's very easy to figure out. It's the very pattern English. that I do my uh, granny my granny stripe from is British too, and it's just like it's not hard. A you just you need to sub out. Yeah, it's real easy. Yeah, highly recommend this pattern. Six months in, I'm still loving every second of it. It's great. I'm ready for some spicier colors, though. I'm. I don't I want to see warm some up. of those pinks. I want to see. Yeah, some of the pinks. we're getting there. We're getting there. We're gonna get into like we're supposed to heat up to the 80s, which is wild that it's gonna be like Fourth of July time. Mm-hmm. And I have it hasn't been in the 80s or anything yet. But anyway. Mm-hmm. This is my big roll of blanket. It's to the point where I leave it in a sausage roll and I unfurl about a foot of it so that I have enough room to work my rows. And then like the inner bit is stays furled up. It's becoming a nice little gradient in your, your tube there. Mm-hmm. It's fun. I like it. I just think it's funny that the year I decided to do a temperature blanket and honestly, like a lot of this designer's work is about documenting climate change. Um, but I did it in the one year that's markedly colder than every other year I've experienced in Tahoe, which isn't like, it's not that it's not related, but like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's just, it's funny. like the abnormally cold year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm into my third skein of the color I assigned to like the low thirties. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And then I've also been putting in a little bit of good work on my Melu run shawl, but I've done the final increase and there's 500 stitches per row and it is going slow. Mm -hmm. Ooh, but you got one of those spicy colors in there. Yeah. So I've 
This is the final lace section and I'm into another brioche section here. The main color is the blue and the background color is this beautiful orange from serendipitous wool. So far I've been working in kind of like soft jewel tony like pretty colors um, from Sister Anonce yarn. And then I'm working into some like really vibrant serendipitous wool. Look how great this orange is. Oh, I love it. On the backside here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm really excited. And I've been enjoying working on this while I watch some Star Wars. Yeah. It's like too big to pull out all of it and show yeah. it to you. And then it's real bunched up on the needle. So you only get the little edges. That's okay. That's fine. I'm looking forward to putting in some good work on this, maybe over the weekend. And then I guess, and my last thing, it looks exactly the same, is that I have put in a couple inches on my chaos tube. Chaos tube. There you go. A couple inches of chaos tube. Mm -hmm. Similar vibes to my sweater. You did stuff, but it looks the same. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I specifically saved this for last so I could sit here and knit on this while you tell me about a cult corner. Oh, I have many things to tell you about a cult corner. Uh, You're going to dip right into that now? Sure. Uh, So this week for a cult corner, we're going to talk about Tarot de Marseille, which is a tarot deck style that is used today. Uh, They do still sell that type of tarot deck, but we're going to talk about where it came from and how it has influenced uh, tarot decks that we know and love. So let's I think if you're familiar with the Smith weight deck, you would be pretty familiar with the way that this one looks. Yeah, and we'll talk about why that is. Tell me. Okay, so Tarot de Marseille, we think, was invented near Ferrara in northern Italy in the early 1400s. It was introduced to southern France when the French conquered Milan in 1499. Uh, So the images on the cards are Italian, like originating, but this deck has mostly been used uh, in France. Uh, So just a refresher on tarot decks as playing cards. Tarot decks were invented solely for card games. Mm -hmm. The idea of divination with cardomancy came later. So tarot decks are 78 cards. And uh, they include the 56 ordinary suit cards, which are the playing cards that we use in English speaking countries. Or the cards that you call the pip cards, if you're talking about like the practice of tarot reading. And keep in mind that tarot decks did not originate these 56 suit cards. There were decks with those earlier than that. Uh, But it did, the idea of the tarot deck for card games did give us the major arcana and originate the separate suit of trump cards. So the major arcana are trump cards when you're playing card games with tarot style decks. And games that include trump suits uh, include a rule that a player cannot who can't follow a trick, which is like a hand of cards, uh, in the correct suit must play a trump card to the trick if possible. And then different games have a bunch of different rules about like how many points a trump card is worth and all that kind of stuff. This rule has bled into card games even if they don't include the separate 22 trump card suit. So an example of this that we play in the United States is Euchre. You name 
which my partner's family plays extensively <laughs> uh and a, a one of the standard suits is named the trump suit when you play that way the 78 card version of tarot ga- games lost popularity in italy but it remained very popular in france and switzerland so back that was about that was all about tarot generally so let's talk about tarot de marseille like that particular version The name was coined in 1856 by the French card historian Romain Merlin and was popularized by cardomancers like Elphias Levy and others. We've talked about Elphias Levy before. Eliphas Levy. Can't talk today. And they named Tarot de Marseille uh, to refer to similar designed decks that were being manufactured in Marseille in the south of France. Uh, the suits of the Tarot de Marseille are swords, cups, coins, and clubs. That's probably sounds fairly familiar. And the pip cards all have a very standard visual style. So there aren't pictorial graphic pip cards like we have in Rider Waite, because that's kind of like what Rider Waite did in terms of designing tarot decks. The suit of swords has all of the swords drawn as abstract curved lines that kind of frame the center of the card. And the even numbered cards have just like a little decorative flower or something in the center. And on the odd numbered cards, the sword is in the center. Uh, The suit of batons is drawn so the batons are kind of like just graphic abstract lines and they form a lattice on the higher numbered cards. Uh, Mm -hmm. This is a difference from Italian to Spanish playing cards. Spanish playing cards also use the suit of batons and swords, but they draw them as actual batons and swords rather than abstract lines. So that's one of the ways we can tell that this particular type of deck comes from Italy. And then cups and coin pip cards are generally just a nice array of each of those items laid out kind of nicely. They're very pretty. Definitely worth a Google image search. Mm-hmm. There are 22 trump cards. Again, that will be really familiar to you. Uh, the Fool is not numbered and in terms of the card game is seen as separate from the other 21 trump cards because it usually can't win a trick. He's kind of like the Joker in our like mm-hmm. English deck. The labeling of card names on the actual cards comes from the French manufacturers Italians would have remembered the names by heart, and the French names differ slightly from the original Italian names. And for Smithway and other English-speaking tarot decks, we draw from the French names. So I have some of the differences written down. So the French La Force is strength, <laughs> but in mm-hmm. Italian, it was titled La Forteza uh, Fortitude. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's it's all it's, linguistically linked. Yes, for sure. But it is like slightly less. It's not exactly specifically what it was in Italian, right? They're really similar, but some of them are kind of different. Like, for example, uh, French has the lover, but -hmm. the Italian was just the word for love, not Mm -hmm. lover as a person. Right. The general concept of love. Yes. And late. Samore. Lamore. Yes. And uh, judgment, late judgment. I, I'm not, I'm not going to pronounce France. You, you have to deal with me here. <laughs> uh, but in 
it was uh, specifically the trumpets mm. uh, mm-hmm. in the Italian. And then uh, the hermits has several different versions in Italian, including the hunchback, the old man, time, mm. even. Interesting. Uh, and, and then one that is uh, pretty different, I think, is the hanged man was mm-hmm. the traitor, il trattore in italian interesting Mm -hmm. and another super different one well not super different but just different implications is the tower which Mm -hmm. can be which is either written as la torre or la maison dieu and la maison Mm -hmm. dieu is the house of god but that the la maison dieu is french la torre is italian yes Mm -hmm. um but it also is given as in italian the arrow uh, mm-hmm. lightning the lightning the house of the devil la casa del diavolo <laughs> so it there's a, there's a bunch of different yeah, you're italian too put a little church on it i la will casa not del diavolo. <laughs> <laughs> yep and uh something that i think is interesting about tarot de marseille is that uh the the number two card in the trump cards is the popus specifically mm-hmm. the popus not like general high priest priestess like we have in decks we use today but like specifically mm-hmm. a female pope and there are many different mari- variations from different manufacturers that have a different version of this card because it was obviously very controversial in like 16th century france to have the popus on a card but mm-hmm. yeah I, I thought that was pretty interesting I don't know why they would have, I mean, I think that's interesting and kind of, um, I don't know if progressive is the right word, but like, I I don't know why they didn't do something that was a traditional Catholic uh, role, like the abbess or something. They would have made a a traditional Catholic role open to a woman of high authority. Yeah, I saw that it, it could be related to a like Pope pope s of myth pope joan mm-hmm. um so yeah interesting lady pope stuff mm-hmm. so all the cards uh were originally printed from woodcuts obviously because that was printing technology and they either mm-hmm. would have been colored uh fully by hand or with stencils most of the decks that we have in reference today that have survived are from the 18th century uh, which is after this deck style was at its peak popularity in France as a card game. And one of these 18th century decks belonged to Antoine Court de Geblin, I think. It's, I don't know if it's Geblin or Geblin. I am sorry for my French. And this dude is like one of the big reasons why we think of tarot as being for div- divination and cardomancy and like part of occult practices. It like, really we can point a lot of the origination of those ideas to this dude so let's talk about him not doing a big life deep dive on him maybe we'll do that later but honestly he didn't do much occult stuff he was just kind of like a dude uh he had this publication called uh the primeval world analyzed and compared to the modern world that's the english translation of the french title and this publication had a lot of distinguished subscribers, including Louis the Sixteenth. And there was a single section that he wrote on tarot because this was widely published and a lot of people read it. 
this is like the point that some people get interested in tarot. And basically this dude who didn't really know much about occult stuff or anything, the first time he saw a tarot deck, he just like decided that it held the secrets of the ancient Egyptians. And he had no knowledge of the Egyptian language or really any knowledge of Egyptian history. But did anybody at that time, was this before the Rosetta Stone was cracked? Indeed, it was before the Rosetta Stone was cracked. So he created a reconstruction of tarot history without any evidence at all, saying that Egyptian priests had distilled the Book of Thoth into the images of the Marseille tarot. Uh, This is some classic European logic here. Definitely didn't influence anybody else we know. No. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And they brought they he said that the ancient Egyptians brought these cards to Rome where they were secretly known to be the like the popes knew about them and the popes brought them to avignon in the 14th century where they were introduced into france so this like guy he just decided this... that's where tarot came from out of his brain <laughs> you were saying this was late 1800s that he wrote this he wrote this in i have it written down i think no i don't it's an eight... because... he owned an 18th century deck and okay. he wrote this in 17 something i believe so he's really pre predating the victorian egyptomania bad mm-hmm. so he might be like the origins of like oh the spooky egyptians we better eat some mummies and steal some corpses yeah and so people because a lot of people read this uh occultists who are into tarot as occult imagery really spider web out from this guy and again this is like the only time he wrote about this but he mm-hmm. like really influenced how tarot works today <laughs> so that was his like fake tarot you- history hmm. mm-hmm. what were you gonna say you can really see the direct line between this section of this book and crowley making the the toth deck oh yeah and there was an essay by another author, Comte de Mele, introduced in the same publication, uh, which is responsible for the mystical connection of the tarot's 21 trumps and the fool with the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. Um, so he oh, just yeah. like, same kind of thing was like, these go together because I say so. <laughs> and a essay was attached to this publication that gave like suggestions of like, ancient people using these for cardamancy and within two years the like first famous fortune teller known as Italia uh published a technique for reading the tarot and that's kind of like when tarot reading as a divination form was born we will talk about that fortune teller as a separate episode at some point i have that written down to talk about them so nice we could um, just do it next week yeah, we could. Well, I was going to talk about Leo Nomrand next week, maybe. Let's do that. More tarot uh, talk next week. More tarot talk next week. So the deck that Gebeline had was designed by Nicholas Conver around 1760. Oh, this is where I pulled 1760 out of my brain. So he might have written this later. We'll look it up. And Gebeline drew uh, so many occultic attention to the deck that that deck created by Nicholas Conver 
is a model for most esoteric design decks. So that deck was designed for card games again, but the tarot decks that are not designed for card games are mostly based off of that particular deck. And Eliphas Levy mm -hmm. uh, influ influenced the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. That sounds familiar, right? We know lots of people who are in that with his writings. And he was using the Marseille deck for Cardamancy. Like that is the deck that he used. So uh, like pretty much everything that the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn writes about tarot reading is based off the Marseille deck. And this is the connection of how English-speaking tarot came to be based off of tarot playing cards rather than English playing cards. Because the authors of both of the two most popular English decks that were designed specifically for Cartomancy are Rider Waite. Uh, and mm -hmm. the, both the author, Waite, and the artist, Pamela Coleman-Smith, were both members of the Order. And the Thoth Tarot, mm -hmm. written by our old buddy Alistair Crowley and drawn by Lady Frida Harris were also both members of this order. So like there's a really direct pipeline from this deck to those decks. And they will Sorry, look... I spoiled your No, no, it's fact. okay. Uh so they will look really they will look really similar if you read Rider Waite or Thoth. And mm -hmm. there are many reprints of Marseille's deck that you can pick up today. Uh, and some artists are even creating new Marseille decks on platforms like Kickstarter. So you can get like old historical ones that are like based off some of the original wood prints of the Nicholas Conver one, or you can get brand new artist rendered ones. So check that out. Sweet. Yeah. That's super interesting. Mm -hmm. Thank you for explaining a thing to me. I always like being told a story. Yay. Cards. Yay. There's lots of them. So many. Mm -hmm. Fun. Well, I think that's about it for us. We're going to jump into a little promotion and then be on our way. So we got lots of stuff going on. Uh, Emily just wrapped up a very exciting Kickstarter. So if you back, thank you. And then I will be having a probably my biggest update ever is going to be this huge Star Clone Wars, Star Wars inspired collection that will be dropping on Sunday, July 16th, 9 a.m. Pacific. I'm going to have so much new self-striping for you guys. It's going to be really exciting. Uh, what else you got going on for promotion? I am going to release Zodiac-themed pins at some point. I'm not going to promise that it's going to happen in July because I have to order things for the Kickstarter. But soon, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> that's great i love it so if you are looking to find us anywhere around the internet please just head on over to fivecoven.com that will have information and resources for everything related to our podcast including show notes and links to our patreon where we have a whole another podcast where we talk business and nerdy stuff we'll also have links to my yarn and emily's merch and patterns so until next week coven keep making yarn magic bye <laughs>